and welcome to Here's My Number, So Call Me Ishmael, the podcast formerly known as Third Eye Blind Melon. It's a cultural quiz show and so much more. I'm Tony, and this is Austin. Hello, Austin. Hello, Tony. Which of, uh, which of those two bands do you think is drawing a bigger crowd right now? <laughs> just some 90s, some mid-90s alt-rock. Yeah. Uh, I would guess that Third Eye Blind is more, it gets more plays sure. um, than Blind Melon. I think Third yeah. Eye Blind has a couple of, uh, they've got a couple of, of evergreen hits that people keep returning to. Just cannot, they just can't turn off. And I can I can only listen to No Rain so many times before I need to before I need to move on. It's true. Austin, in addition to this podcast being our child, we have two two more children, and those are the the plants that you have gifted me over the past oh, few months. Oh, it's about to say news to me, but <laughs> I'll, I'll be there. Just tell me where to go. Um, you're a supportive father in absentia, and I am a supportive father in. In real life, presentia. In presentia. What's the opposite of absentia? Uh, absent. Yeah, present. I mean, present certainly is the opposite of, of absent, but I don't know what the Latin for present is, and that's going to be tricky because present can mean a lot of different things. It can mean a gift. It can mean being physically present. It can mean the Im- immediate moment in which you live. Mm. Um, According to Google Translate, it is presenti. So, presenti. <laughs> I'm also seeing impro- impropria persona. Okay, it's kind of fun. The plants are doing well. At my local store, I had the option of two different soils. Potting mixes. <laughs> yes, one of which. The bag promised that my plants would grow two times as large as they normally would, and the other promised three times as large. Jesus. Sort of a Grinch, a Grinch theme. <laughs> right. If I were to put the Grinch's heart into the soil, it would grow not one, not two, but three sizes that day. What would be the equivalent for us uh, soil? Something that you exist in but also eat. Uh, uh, like a gingerbread house, maybe? I think like the real- gingerbread house is probably the best example and probably the one that the most people can relate to. What's interesting about plants is that the – I don't know if it's the majority of their mass or – I don't know exactly what fraction of the mass is. But a large fraction of a plant's mass comes from the air, not from the soil. Mm. Right, because the 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 plant is taking in carbon dioxide from the air, and then converting that into whatever the the muscle weight the, the muscle weight with the help of uh, uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for here the the chemical process that goes on in plants that converts photosynthesis photosynthesis thank you yes with the help of photosynthesis it takes in that carbon and it t- it sucks up water from the ground and it, it creates the woody and leafy materials that form plants. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting thing. I, it, it, the, I, I think it's interesting that, that plants sort of grow out of the air more so than they grow oh, out of the yeah. soil. I was trying to think of a pun with the word photosynthesis, maybe something like, you know, uh, professor, here's my, here's my term paper on 
the origins of pornography, it's my photosynthesis. Oh, okay. I thought it was going to be professor. Here's here's my here's my final project for our design class where we had to merge two pictures using Photoshop. It's my photosynthesis. Mmm, that's nice. <laughs> uh, that's a little pippier than mine. Yeah. Doesn't quite cover as much ground, and right. um, you know, I think you could do better. <laughs> I thought, yeah, photosynthesis was was also good. Yeah. Try to segue that into the theme of today's episode. <laughs> well, you well, you look at photos, right? Right. And and photography is a visual medium. Yes. And the theme of today's episode is a very visual episode. Ooh. So how's that? I thought it would be funny because podcasts, as you know, Austin, are are a, an audio medium. So the way that the way that most people are taking in this content is th- is through their ears, right? And 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 so I thought it would be funny if we if it, the whole episode was about visual things, which people take in with their eyes. Right. Yeah. There's something sort of ironic. Exactly. The first category of trivia we are going to discuss is album cover art. Okay. And I am going to describe the album cover art, and I'm going to ask you to tell me what album cover art I am describing. Okay. So, for example, now this isn't an actual. This isn't one of the actual ones because it's so because you got you're going to get it. This, but this is as an example. If I were to say four young men crossing a street and one of them isn't wearing shoes. I might say that Paul McCartney has been dead for years. <laughs> you might say that, right? Okay, good. Okay, so, so you, yeah, so you would, you would say that's Abbey Road by the Beatles. So that's that's an example one. That was that was a I I, I tossed that one up for you because I wanted to give you a gimme so that you were familiar with the category. Listeners, um, we cannot emphasize this enough. This is an example. That was, <laughs> that was not real trivia. That was an example of what trivia might be like. Here's another one that, well, I kind of, I, I shouldn't say before giving it to you that I, I, it's a gimme, but I, I think this one might be a gimme as well. This is, uh, the photo is, uh, it's a, the, underwater in a, in a pool, and you can see a young, a baby child, a young baby boy reaching out, and he's reaching for a dollar bill that is on a, that's on a fish hook. Yes, and his yeah. little peepee's out. And his little peepee is out, Yes. That is Nirvana. It is. Never mind what album it is. You Never mind what album it is. Never mind one word in the album in the album name. It is it, the, in real life in the dictionary you would find it saying Never Space Mind, uh, but on the Nirvana album name it is Never Mind, all one word. And boy, someone got fired that day. <laughs> one of the Nirvana interns. You know, on the most recent Strokes album, there there is what I would consider to be a typo. Why are Sundays so depressing? And on the original copy of this, there was a apostrophe between the Y and the S on Sundays. And Whoa. it is not that it has disappeared. But I, I promise, I screenshotted it. I'll send it to everyone. <laughs> That is not we're, we're, that is not dissimilar to the removal of Superman from Illinois. 
the removal of Superman from Illinois. Sufjan, yeah. the, the original yeah. album cover of, I think the album is actually just called Illinois. Come on, feel the Illinois. Yes. But yeah, so this called, yeah. And it yeah. used to have Superman on the cover, but due to some intellectual property disputes with the intellectual property owners of Superman, it was removed in later editions. Hmm. Good to know. It's, it's great to know. Uh, backstory behind the Nevermind album cover. So they originally were going to go with like a stock photo of just a, a swimming baby. But the company wanted $7,500 a year for its use. So instead, they just went to a pool and took some pictures of a baby, of one of like of the photographer's friend's baby, so that they didn't have to pay $7,500 a year, which is very funny to me because it's like such an unbelievably iconic photo. And basically, the decision boiled down to, I don't feel like paying something. Uh, we, could, we could do this. <laughs> right, exactly. We can do this. Wow. So, so, but that baby doesn't seem to be a swimming underwater aged baby so did they just give him a quick dunk and then get out of the shot and then and then rescue him or what so sometimes people will put their babies in a pool when they're super young because apparently babies have sort of an instinctual swimming ability are you familiar with this i am familiar with this so that would be my guess but i don't actually know that i don't have the the intimate details here just says they they went to the family friend and took pictures of the baby Okay, I guess I can see a world in which this baby, I mean, he's right below the surface. Right. Um, yes, he is. No, yeah, he's not like deep in the ocean, you know, where he is, needs like a breathing apparatus. I think he could pretty quickly be removed without right. damage. And so the, the most recent news I saw from him is that he like recreated the photo shoot when he was like 15 or something like that. So he lived to be at least 15 years old. Okay. So they they didn't they certainly there was no loss on that particular day. Also, the art director of the album cover or of the the album or the the I think the record company his name is Robert Fisher, and the the album cover has a fish hook on it. Whoa. Is there some, is there what does that mean? What does it all Whoa. mean? Robert Fisher. His name is Robert Fisher. Fisher. And there's a fish hook. What does Robert, it mean? Robert is, is is often shortened to Bobby. True. This be the Bobby Fisher we've been looking for <laughs> for all these years. Could it, could it be that we have found him? I'm searching and searching for Robert Fisher. But this, I think, I think the that Fisher is F I S C H E R. Am I right about that? Mm. Yeah. Um, and this one is F-I-S-H. So this is really spelled like fish, like fishing, like a cool. fish, fishing hook. What does it mean? I don't know, man. I don't know. Sounds like good old fashioned narcissism to me. <laughs> that's the only, the only possible interpretation. All right, that's crap. We got the baby in the pool. So what if we threw a little fish hook in there? That's sort of a reference to, to me, the art director. <laughs> no, me, Robert Fisher. All right, I'm looking at another album cover here, Austin, and let me read this sort of behind-the-scenes factoid from Wikipedia. Actually, this might not be from Wikipedia. This might be from Rolling Stone magazine. In any case, Hollywood stuntmen Ronnie Rondell and Danny Rogers worked on nearly 200 movies, including Speed, Titanic, Beverly Hills Cop, Bad Boys, and Waterworld. They remain best known for a single picture on the Warner Brothers backlot in 1975. 
For the cover of this album, Rondell wore a business suit over a flame-retardant suit and shook Roger's hand while his clothing was on fire. To protect his head, Rondell wore a wig over a hood. Despite all the precautions, at one point during a shoot, the wind blew in the wrong direction and briefly spread the flames to Rondell's mustache. Um, wow. This has got to be Pink Floyd's Wish You Were Here. So good, dude. Well done. Yes, exactly. The two guys Thank shaking you. hands, one of whom is on fire. One guy's mustache is just going up. <laughs> yeah, one of them is screaming in agony. Um, what's funny about that is up until reading that fact, my whole life I thought that the fire was like fake added on to the picture afterwards because it kind of to me at least looks like fake fire it sort of looks like it was blotted on with a yeah and like uh, like i would not have felt somehow short shrifted if it had been fake fire like i don't i don't necessarily i think the, the the impact of the image remains just as strong were the fire fake but they they went to a lot of trouble for real fire but well done good uh good get thank um, you sir i have a i have a poster of that in a gilded a gilded frame uh, <laughs> in my uh, my childhood bedroom. I think my brother has it now. I see. On the topic of posters of album covers, maybe the poster of an album cover I've seen the most is another Pink Floyd album. Yeah, Uma Guma. It's a really popular <laughs> one with pink eyes. And- Austin, I was clearly talking about Dark Side of the Moon. Mm. Uh, mm. The The prism. Remember the syncing up Dark Side of the Moon with Wizard of Oz, so that was a big thing. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Recently, there's been some discussion about syncing up the film Scott Pilgrim vs. the World with Smashing Pumpkins' Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Whoa. uh, Which have similar runtimes, and apparently some of the moments jive very well together. And, you know, the, the writer of Scott Pilgrim, is a an avowed Smashing Pumpkins fan. Interesting. Yeah, I have not tried it out yet, uh, nor will I ever. At some point, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's the thing about the, the these sync up things. The reason I I think that there is a very 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 close overlap between people who get stoned enough to sit still and watch a movie and listen to an album for an extended period of time, people who like Pink Floyd, and people who want to watch the wizard of Oz. Yeah. And so I, I think, agree. I think it is not an accident that those, those <laughs> two were paired up. And I, I think there may be some overlap with, with Scott Pilgrim <laughs> and smashing pumpkins as well. Yeah. Sort of the next generation of <laughs> yes. more energetic stoners. <laughs> oh, I do love that album and I do love that movie. So it's, it's, it's tempting to me. Um, I guess it, if not now, then when? You know, I should do. <laughs> yes. I, we should, by the way, one time I was talking with some of my classmates about syncing up Wizard of Oz and Dark Side of the Moon. And I was with a group of six people, so me and five others, and not even one of the five people I was talking to knew what I was talking about when I, when I brought that up. So, and I, they thought you were just one of those overlaps with... <laughs> They thought I was a lunatic. So I want to pause and I want to say, if anybody has no idea what Austin and I have been talking about for the last two minutes, there is a theory that people have posited that if you start the album, the Pink Floyd album, Dark Side of the Moon, at the same time as you start the movie, The Wizard of Oz, that there are certain 
like there's lines from songs that sort of correspond to what's going on in the movie in ways that are alleged to be eerie and and too good to be coincidental but are in fact not all that eerie and definitely coincidental and now you know so now you know so if you're one of the if you're a a freak like the people that i was talking to who had no idea what i was talking about uh now you know so that was a couple of pink floyd albums that we discussed i'm now looking at an album cover that i think i might describe it might be described as as racy Oh, okay. What I'm seeing here is a, a it's a beautiful long, young lady, and she is uh, not clad. However, there is a branch from a tree with some leaves that are obscuring any any objectionable body parts that you might be you might be concerned about. And this young lady is she's leaning against a tree and she is holding in her hand an apple, which is maybe a reference to uh, the mother the mother of us all, Eve. And, and the fruit that she picked from, from the tree. Sure. Sure, sure, sure. Also on this album cover is a, is a baby sitting in the tree, sort of leaning. I think that this has got to be Shakira Shakira. Oh, Austin. Dude, you are killing it. Uh, yes, this is Shakira, Oral Fixation, Volume 2. Oral Fixation, Volume 2. Yes. Because that was such a good, that was such a good album name that you got to get two albums out of it. <laughs> yes. The first one was in Spanish. The volume one of Oral Fixation was actually called Fijación Oral. Mm. Beautiful. Yes, very Which beautiful. Which means something very, very modest and pleasant in Spanish. Right. <laughs> in Spanish, it's actually it's very, it's a demure word or yeah. phrase, I should say. It means making a, making... Uh, good eye contact with someone as they're <laughs> reading lips. Of course, we had to sexualize Shakira like we do with everything else. <laughs> Apparently, in the when it was released in in a few different Middle Eastern countries, the artwork was covered up so that her basically her whole body was covered up with leaves except for her face, um, mm. so that she was basically just standing behind a, a full a full bush of of leaves. Which she is quoted as being surprised by that, which I guess, I don't I don't I don't know if surprise is the reaction I would have. Yeah, you're the one poking your face out of a bunch of bushes. <laughs> Why are you surprised? Right, yeah. I'm shocked. It's to you. You're surprised. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yes, Shakira's Oral Fixation Volume Two. I'm now looking at one. This one. You look at it and you think, man, that's kind of a blurry picture. And you look and you say, what's this guy doing? Is he on stage smashing a bass guitar into the stage? Hmm. Say to yourself, you're looking at it and you're thinking, why is this guy, this sort of skinny guy, he's smashing a bass guitar into the stage? Smashing a bass guitar. Maybe it's because he's sort of upset about the insane division between the upper and working classes in london <laughs> um this is and also probably kind of pissed off about the vietnam war too he's got a lot of things to be angry about let's say that i'm gonna say that's london calling by le clash awesome i am i am just unbelievably impressed i i have i prepared more clues for all of these but you're just you're so you're well, you're giving me you're giving me good descriptions Hmm. I really do feel like I'm looking at them, but I I want to <laughs> I want to play along with your little game. Let's yeah, let's yeah. hear let's hear well, some clues. 
Well, so the I, maybe this isn't a clue, but I, there was another story behind this one that I really liked, and, and that is that the photographer who took the picture was like almost th- like almost said like I almost didn't even give it to them. Almost was like, no, this isn't even worth using because it's out of focus and there's like no reason to to have an out of focus picture when you can have a really good but fortunately she was the photographer was overruled and the true genius of her work was recognized by by someone else uh, (laughs) because it is it is now an an iconic image of of rock and roll of the bass guitarist uh, whose last name is Simon or something but apparently he was very annoyed the the context behind the picture is that they were at a, a venue in New York and the audience was not active enough for him. And he was so annoyed at the, the, the relatively quiet audience that he decided to smash his bass guitar into the stage to try to, to, to get them amped up, as it were. Man, what a, what a badass thing. Yeah. You know, there are plenty of reasons to smash a guitar, but that one is... That's maybe the best reason. Yeah, that's one that I, that I approve of and agree with. I kind of wish that I had a guitar to throw around at some concerts I go to. When you can hear um, kind of the, the buzz of people talking above the music, mm. you ever have that experience? Oh, my goodness. Infuriating. Oh, I also, I just as a more general rule, even not at concerts, I sort of wish that I had guitars that I could smash when I was angry. I mm. find it, it, sends, it sends a message that is unambiguous about, <laughs> about your happiness and lack thereof, I should say. But it also gives you a little bit more, like, people who don't have guitars to smash, what, they punch a wall, that's kind of a big <laughs> yeah, there's, move. There's, a, yeah, there's an automatic sort of uh, social status elevation that comes from, from, from smashing a guitar. You know what's just occurred to me, Austin, is that sometimes people will refer to guitars as, as an axe, like they'll say, I'm going to... Want to play the the axe? Have you ever heard this? Have you ever heard people yes. say say axe for a guitar? Do you think that's because of the sort of smashing, chopping motion that people make when they smash guitars on a stage? That is a great question. Thanks. Yeah, and I think yes. I mean, okay. No one else is talking about it. So. Nobody else has any hypotheses. <laughs> I hate all these people who just you know, tear down ideas, tear down, tear down without, without ever willing to be, to, you know, deposit something. Right. I new. put, I put something forward here. I've done the legwork. In fact, I, I would say that what you have done is sort of in line with the scientific method. You've, you've put it out. It's not on you to disprove it. It's out well, there. Well, sort of. It's the first step of the scientific method, which is hypothesis. Right. Yeah, um, it, it's in line. I think I said I didn't say it was the completion of the scientific method. It wasn't a paragon. But, uh... I, I, have, I have committed the first step of the scientific method. I leave, it, I leave it to our listeners to experiment and make conclusions, which are the remaining <laughs> steps of the scientific method. Wouldn't it be nice if enough people listen to this that we could say... Hey, tweet at us if you know what where the where the term axe came from with guitars. But yeah. I mean it would it would be about as much effort for us to probably just Google it right now as it would be for, for our listeners to, yeah. to tweet at us. Well I wanna say I wanna save our good graces with our listeners for a for a, a, a task that we we couldn't just do on our own with, with a local search engine. That's true. But you've proven capable of doing every ever since you reverse reverse inflated 
uh, <laughs> Velvet Underground concert ticket price. Um, I feel like we can do everything. <laughs> we, we, do everything. we are uh, we are masters of of search. Um, yeah, I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I think the the first time I'm going to call on our audience to do something for us is going to be it's going to be big. It's going to be like social upheaval level big. Right. But only in only in a small part of <laughs> of the American Midwest. Yeah, the American Midwest, the Great Lakes region. <laughs> yes, this sort of Great Lakes overhaul. <laughs> I'm looking at another album cover here, Austin, and and what I see is I see three young ladies. They are sitting on sort of lawn chair looking chairs, and they look to be they might even be on a lawn because it, there's grass in the background. These young ladies, they are all wearing sunglasses and they are all sort of, they're looking, they're not looking at the camera as you sometimes do when, when a picture is being taken of, you know, most of the time when you, when a picture is being taken of you, you sort of look at the camera and you smile. But these, these ladies, they are looking to the right as I'm, as I'm looking at them. But I, when they were getting their picture taken, it is their, their left. Interesting. Interesting. Hmm. I'm trying to remember if Alana is in the middle <laughs> on this one. They are they are seated in in age order. They are seated in the order that they were born in. So I don't know if that helps you or okay. is just more confusing. So Alana, Danielle, Este. You got it. Other right. Este, Danielle, Alana. But yes, they are sisters who share I'm, a last name. I'm stumped on this one. <laughs> This is the album Days Are Gone by the Sisters Heim. It is. I prefer to call them. I feel like <laughs> they, they have a lot to say about their, about their Jewish heritage, and I just feel like the Sisters Heim would be a more yeah. traditionally Jewish way that of saying That would be, yes, that would be right. Um, <laughs> yes, did, you know Dan- did you know that Danielle kind of blew up as a touring musician for Julian Casablancas? I did know that. I, well, I, listeners, I, did, you, <laughs> did, did you know that? I thought that was so interesting. Yes. She actually toured with a few different people prior to forming her band. And I, I believe that Shakira, Pink Floyd. <laughs> yeah, she's, the, she's connecting all of these. And I believe Esty got like her PhD in music or something. I feel like you only need to have one PhD level. <laughs> per <laughs> band. You, in any given band, unless it's like Polyphonic Spree, where you just have hundreds, <laughs> hundreds of people. Yeah, surely there's a. I think didn't Brian May, guitarist of of the band Queen, didn't he have a PhD in like physics? Yeah, I, think I think it's yeah, like physics or something crazy. Um, you know what? We have the technology. Uh, Brian May, it's yeah, it says he's an astrophysicist. It does not say yeah, PhD. Wow. And yet, not a single song about space. Uh, waste, wasted potential. I mean, I'm sure. Well, yeah. Flash Gordon is about space. Yeah, and you know, 500 degrees. That's why they call me Mr. Fahrenheit. That's kind of. I'm moving at the speed. Yeah. Moving at the speed yeah. of light. Yeah. Okay. Okay. There's some solid. <laughs> he got some. You worked some physics in there. Yeah. Flash, not as much. That's more pop sci-fi, I'd say. But. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, don't stop me now. It does have it is well grounded in yeah. your relativity and 
second law firm. And and he did calculate that it was fat bottom girls that make the rock and world go round. Okay, was, yes, definitely. That, that came out of some of his theories. His um, treatise on gravity. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> if you're going to take me home tonight, then... <laughs> that was a good joke, Tony. Thanks, Jeff, Dad. I, thought, I, I also thought that was a good joke, and I, I'm glad that you appreciated it. My other clue for for the for the Heim Dazer album cover was going to be that it looks like they are lit by their native California sun. Mm. You got it without me even having to tell you what state they come from. The last album cover I'm looking at here, Austin, this one's this one's freaky. You know, freaky. Uh, it's, I'm ready. It's, it's this is a freaky one. What I'm looking at here is this is a motorcycle, and it's all chromed out and shiny. But as you, what, 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 what's going on here at the front of the motorcycle? That's a lady's face. That's a lady's head, and that's a lady's head and face on the front of this motorcycle. Oh boy! What oh boy! What the heck? Oh man! A couple come to mind. Uh, this is an older album, I would assume. I would guess. Oh, mm, it is newer than most of the albums that we've that we've discussed so far. Oh. Okay, is this is this Lady Gaga? This is Lady Gaga. <laughs> and uh, is the album? Oh man, I forgot the name of that album. Is it? It's not Art Pop, is it? It is not the the album is so if if the name of this album is true, and if Lady Gaga actually has the body of a motorcycle, I would feel bad for Lady Gaga's mother, Ma- Matron Gaga. Okay, okay, okay. Oh, that was a very good clue, Tony. Born (laughs) born this way. Yes, yes. If Lady Gaga was born with the body of a motorcycle, if she was, in fact, born this way, I feel like Matron (laughs) Matron Gaga deserves a Medal of Honor. (laughs) Matron Gaga. (laughs) Mama Gaga. Am I? um, I'm kind of banging around my my girlfriend's mother's kitchen right now. Hmm. Am I making too much noise? Before you said anything, I hadn't heard anything. But then when you started talking about it, I started hearing some, what sounded like maybe some some cabinet drawers or some cabinet doors being open. Yes, doors and drawers. Doors and drawers. What what are you, is it, you're, you're still working on your, your jerky? I'm working and jerking over jerking. here. I am working on my jerky, although I'm going to let it go in the dehydrator for another couple minutes. Uh, okay, it still still yeah. looks too hydrated for you? Yeah, a little too hydrated. So there's the nice hum of that. What's your What's your spice game in your jerky? Well, my spice. This is the first time I've done jerky, so my spice game is proprietary. It's oh, cells. I see. Um, no, I did some low sodium soy sauce. Okay. I did a little bit of applewood smoked salt. Ooh. That I got from Fresh Time Farmers Market. I put in a little bit of maple syrup, not a ton. I'm more of a savory guy when it comes to my jerky. I put a little chipotle powder in there that I received from uh, our mutual friends, Ben and Leah, for my birthday. Okay, nice. Um, I put a little bit of monosodium glutamate in there. Heard of it? Heard of it. And what else? A little Worcestershire. 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 It tastes great. And it's safe to eat now, but I want to keep it at room temperature 
which you're, you're technically not supposed to do with homemade jerky. So I'm going to make sure that the moisture is really gone. I see. Extra dry. Yeah, extra dry. Bone dry. <laughs> Bone dry. <sighs> working, working and jerking until you're bone dry. Colon, the Austin Sisson story. <laughs> bone dry is a funny phrase because for for a, the for the time that bones are most useful, they are not dry. They are surrounded by the gooey, meaty wetness of one's body. Mm. And filled. They're sort of gushers. They and, got... <laughs> and they also are, yes. Uh, like like gushers, you bite into them and the marrow spills out. And then and then like those old gushers commercials, your head turns into a big old thigh a big bone. old a big old bone. <laughs> oh gushers. Yes, and it is it is only after they have, have served their their sort of primary purpose that they become dry. In fact, I'd say that in the context of fine, stay with me here. Um, <laughs> okay, you've got you've got my ear. When you think about dry bones, mm-hmm. the context is usually you know next to a desert road. There's a cactus in the shot. You yep. see a steer's, you know, a steer's horns and skull, kind of desiccated out in the sun. I feel like if you put anything out there. It was right. just as dry as <laughs> exactly. the bone. Exactly. After a certain yeah. point. I, yeah, I think yeah. Dry, I think the phrase should be dry as something left out in the desert for many years. <laughs> That's what the phrase should be. Yes. So that was that was album covers and you just you whizzed right through those. You fucking you, you, you killed it. Yeah, right? thanks for the appetizer. On to the main course. On to the main course. The main course is I am going to read some character descriptions. So some some descriptions of some physical descriptions of characters from novels. Okay. So that's that's just the visual aspect is that these are physical descriptions. This is what these characters look like. I'm gonna read the physical description and I, I'm gonna leave it up to you to tell me the character, the book from which this is drawn. Okay, do I get their Enneagram number? <laughs> you get no personality types. This is purely this is skin deep. Although often what you will find often with with character with fictional characters is that even their physical descriptions are not just skin deep. Even their physical descriptions say something about what they are as people. Hmm. Have you okay. found that have you found that to be true in, in the books that you've read? Yeah, many of the books I've read, unless they're those Harlequin novels. <laughs> those Harlequin novels you love love so much. I know and love so much. Yeah, I find I find that a lot a lot of the books that I read that the character's physical appearance is not just a reflection of their outward appearance, but there are there are clues about what they are like on the inside. Sure, she had beautiful blue eyes, but she was smart too. That's the kind <laughs> of I read. That's sort of how they put those things in. Here's the first description. This one's short, but it's I think it's it's pithy and it it, it gets to the point. He was a funny-looking child who became a funny-looking youth, tall and weak, and shaped like a bottle of Coca-Cola. Oof. He was a funny-looking child. At first, that sort of um, coy description reminded me of maybe a Eustace from, mm. from uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, what is that line from? It, it, the line is something like, his name is Eustace. His name is Eustace. Scrub. His and name he is almost Eustace deserved Scrub, it. And he almost deserved it. Yeah. It is, it is very much in those lines. 
Oh, we almost deserved it. You know, CS, I think you're a bit overhyped in our small, small town Christian mm-hmm. uh, college circuit, but that was a great diss. That's, it's a great line. The author of this work is also, he has the way of putting together some, some very funny lines. And that's why I, I thought that the sign might be indicative of his voice. Hmm. Can I have another clue? You can. I will read the entire paragraph from which the line is drawn. I'm not going to include the character's name, though. So the first word of the character. Character's name was born in 1922 in Ilium, New York, the only child of a barber there. He was a funny-looking child who became a funny-looking youth, tall and weak and shaped like a bottle of Coca-Cola. He graduated from Ilium High School in the upper third of his class and attended night sessions at the Ilium School of Optometry for one semester before being drafted for military service in the Second World War. Mm. And then I, there's two more sentences that I think will really help you. Are you ready? Yes. His father died in a hunting accident during the war. So it goes. Mm. I think if you just let me kind of be quiet for a second and I have this little meditative exercise I do where I just count up upwards from one. Okay. Uh, and is it sort of like one Mississippi to Mississippi where you say a word with, with all the numbers? Yeah. So we'll say um, grocery store one, <laughs> um, bank two, um, office building three, vet, veterinarian four, slaughterhouse five. Slaughterhouse five. That's right. Billy Pilgrim. Billy was born in 1922 in Ilium, New York. Yes, that is, that is a physical description of one, one Billy Pilgrim from Kurt Vonnegut's famous novel, Slaughterhouse-Five. If this was a dumber podcast, I would say, what happened in the first four? Uh, I assume that they were bombed and destroyed with the rest of the buildings of Dresden. <laughs> so, so how's that for a response? It's pretty good. <clears throat> now here's here's a character description. Sometimes, so I said Austin that sometimes character descriptions, their outward appearance can tell you more about can tell you something about sort of what's on the inside of the character. This character description I've taken is a description from given by another character. So here we have this character is describing another character, and she gives a physical description. But but really, the description says more about the describer than the describee. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, um, where what this character is doing is, is she's describing another character, but really we're learning more about the, the person who's talking than the person who's, who's being talked about. All right. Well, if this author is any good, hopefully that will become clear as you read. <laughs> so let me, I'll, I'll, read, I'll read this for you. Her face is too thin. Her complexion has no brilliancy, and her features are not at all handsome. Her nose wants character. There is nothing marked in its lines. Her teeth are tolerable, but not out of the common way. And as for her eyes, which have sometimes been called so fine, I never could perceive anything extraordinary in them. They have a sharp, shrewish look, which I do not like at all. And in her hair altogether, there is a self-sufficiency without fashion, which is intolerable. That's some good, that's some good stuff right there. Um, Using handsome in that way makes me think of Anne of Green Gables. Mm. Um, I think you're sort of in the a little bit in the right time era, not quite, but yes, you're right. the The use of the word handsome to describe women is sort of an old school, an old school thing. Yeah, and the and the reason that I 
don't think it's Anne is because Anne is not so mean spirited. I can't think of anyone she would say that about. Yes. So this is this actually though. So this is a description of the main character of a novel by a secondary character, a oh. a jealous secondary character. So when you went through all that and asked me if I understood, and I said yes, <laughs> what I what I meant was <laughs> what I meant was. I don't know. <laughs> this particularities of the physical description I don't think will be super helpful. The reason I chose this quote is that it is the style of the of the language is indicative of maybe the era in which it came out. You already you already pointed out the use of the word handsome to describe a woman. I think this the style and the the tone are indicative of of the the time period and of the author's tone itself. Now, this is tough because if you wouldn't have said that, I think I would have said Jane Eyre. Um, oh. Because, you know, I think that the girls at the orphanage and even um, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Fassbender, can't remember his <laughs> name, and even Mr. Fassbender uh, are sort of uh, derisive about Jane's appearance. But since you, uh, since you said that, I'm going to go with, I think that this is a Jane Austen quote. You are so darn right about that. You are, you, are, you are darn right about it. Occam's Razor says it's going to be Pride and Prejudice. You are absolutely right about that. Yes. This is Caroline Bingley describing Elizabeth Bennet. All other sources describe Elizabeth Bennet as being uh, as being relative, like pretty, uh, the, <laughs> the, the second prettiest, of course, of the Bennet daughters behind. Jane. Uh, behind Jane, yes. Uh-huh. So, so Jane Eyre is a plain Jane, but Jane in Pride and Prejudice is as as a dang 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 Jane. Dang Jane. Yeah. Or flame Jane. Flame flame Jane. Uh-huh. We had a um a Mormon take on Pride and Prejudice on DVD growing up. So is this is is this like the like modern takes on Shakespeare where they will like like ten things I hate about you where it's where it's the it's the the fundamental story is the same but it's put into a different environment? Yes, and funny that you said uh, modern because I remembered the subtitle is a latter day comedy. <laughs> awesome, yeah. a latter day. So this this is the more the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints is presenting a latter day telling of. That's that's good. That's yes. Good. We don't we don't say Mormon anymore. We say Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Really? Yeah. Okay. Good to know. As of a couple years ago, the the I forget what the head honcho of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints is called, but the head honcho of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, the head the head prophet of uh, he said that we are no longer to be called Mormons. We are to be called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. Wow. Cool. Here's another character description. This specimen was impressively bald. The wilderness had patted him on the head, and behold, it was like a ball, an ivory ball. It had caressed him, and lo, he had withered. It had taken him, loved him, embraced him, got into his veins, consumed his flesh, and sealed his soul to its own by the inconceivable ceremonies of some devilish initiation. I can't tell if this is sort of like a playful use of this kind of language. Oh, this or... is I, – I tried to change the tone of my voice to a serious, a darker tone. 
this is this is a serious darker tone. Hmm. A serious darker tone. Would you like to hear some of the clues that are embedded in the clue that I gave you? Yes, please. So the use of the word ivory is not an accident. An ivory ball, that's, that's not an accident. References to the wilderness, non-accidental. Ivory, ooh, um, well, I'm thinking about the bald, bald, bald head of, is it Marlon Brando? Yes, yeah, you are thinking of the correct bald, bald head. Okay. Sweet. Um, good clues. That has got to be Heart of Darkness. Yes. Or Apocalypse Now. Yes. Uh, Kurtz is the name of the character, portrayed portrayed on screen by Marlon Brando. And he was impressively bald on screen, and he was impressively bald on the page as well. Mm. <laughs> the, the reference to Ivory being important because he was involved in the Ivory trade. Wilderness being important because he was he was lost in the wilderness. I wonder how that um, has anyone read that book recently? Uh, I read it maybe ten years ago. How does that qualify as recent? Yeah, I mean, I'm just I'm wondering. Um, I don't know much about Joseph Conrad in terms of his his ideology, his mm -hmm. motivation in writing that story. I I just yeah, I, I wonder if it is held up. Oh, it, it's interesting. Yeah, so that's a very interesting question and a question on which I have very strong opinions. So first thing, a fact about Joseph Conrad, he didn't even speak English until he was like 30 years old or something. He was Polish. Um, mm. But then he went on to write like two huge works in the English language. And anyway, he's, he's an interesting man on his own. To your question, well, I, I won't get into it because it's going to take a long time, but I M H O. It holds up very well, but it is for a very specific audience, and I right. think that that is a hard that is a hard thing to convey because people sort of want everything to be acceptable to everyone. Right. That is not right. I mean, he was he was he was overall he was pretty critical of imperialism and right the whole and that's I yeah we can the whole point of the book is to be critical of imperialism, to be critical of like all the horrible atrocities and to be very critical of these things. And the, the, criti the criticism that people raise, like the, the, the edition of the book that I have has a, an essay by Chinua Achebe in it. And the, the issue that he raises is that, you know, the black characters aren't given a voice. There's only one line from a black character. The black characters are basically used as a symbol of primitivism and darkness and all these things. And, and, and while that's true, and and I like I concede like obviously Chino Achebe knows more about literature than I do. I, I I don't I don't disagree with him on that point. But I think I think to a European audience, the notion that imperialism fails even from the central tenets of the sort of enlightened European perspective, that the point is that it's written for Europeans thinking from a European perspective. It shouldn't be the only novel that you read about imperialism, but it is a strong novel. Mm -hmm. Hey, I thought that I think that's a very pithy summary. Thank you. It is. It is something about which I have strong feelings. I just don't. I I know very little about about Joseph. I read that way before I had any capacity to understand the mm. anything beyond the plot. You know. Yeah. Um, so I would I'd be interested in reading it again, and I will.
I, I own a copy, but you no longer live in the same city as me, so it would be hard for me to transfer it to you. Mm. All right. On that topic, uh, this is a good character to transition to. So let me let me read the description. Such a face. It was of a dark purplish yellow color here and there stuck over with large blackish looking squares. There was no hair on his head, none to speak of at least, nothing but a small scalp knot twisted up on his forehead. He had a bald purplish head now looked, or excuse me, his bald purplish head now looked for all the world like a mildewed skull. Hmm. Hmm. Old knot on his forehead. That's a weird place to have hair. I wonder if that's the point. <laughs> Perhaps that's why it was worth noting. Splotches. Okay, give me a give me a hint. I'm sure. Ready. The novel from which this is drawn is in the same written around the same era as Heart of Darkness, which is why one of the reasons why I think it was a good good transition from that one. This character, who is a non-white, non-European character, is treated with maybe not the sort of treatment you would hope for in a novel. However, there is a very important white character in this novel who is famous for its whiteness. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, you son of a gun. Moby Dick? Moby Dick. <laughs> yes, this is Queequeg, the harpooner. He has tattoos all over his face and a scalp knot. And... Yes, and the, the reason I thought that, that that was a good transition is I just reread Moby Dick and was sort of shocked and disappointed by the treatment of race in that book because basically all all non-white characters are like sort of mysterious, very, very othered, and any positive treatment of them reeks of the noble savage sort of mindset right. where it's a sort of like... How like, surprising. Exactly, this. exactly. It's, it's shocked and, and awed at anything, that a, anything good that a non-white character does. And so I, I think, uh, yeah, so I think criticisms of, of Moby Dick on that end are a lot more incisive than criticisms of Heart of Darkness to that, to that end. All right. Are you ready for this next character description? I am ready. I'm just feeling my jerky. Okay. <laughs> Feels pretty good. Is it, how dry is it? You know, it's still seeing some moisture beat up between the grains. Interesting. Um, and I think that that's what I need to squash. Right. All right. So for the final character, we will describe. Are you ready? I'm ready. She has a veil down to the slender waist her unadorned golden tresses wore. Disheveled but in wanted ringlets waved as the vine curls her tendrils, which imply subjection, but required with gentle sway, and by her yielded, by him best received, yielded with coy submission, modest pride, and sweet, reluctant, amorous delay. Mm. As a veil. So she's wearing her hair as a veil. Exactly. So it's like her hair <laughs> is the veil. The way you read it. Hmm. Tony, I'm stumped on this one. Yeah, let me give you some hints within the hint. You know, the, the use of the word wanton and the coy submission and amorous delay, there's a sort of, it might be salacious to say, but there's sort of sexual undertones here. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, by her yielded, by him best received, there's a sort of a man and woman 
aspect going on here. And the, the analogy to vine, you know, vine curls, uh, tendrils, and, and there's a sort of naturalistic sense. So you want to think of, you know, these are, this is a man and a woman in nature. The woman is wearing her hair as, a, as clothing. Mm, so Shakira? <laughs> Uh, yes, this is this is this is uh, uh, this is a review. This is this pitchfork review for Oral Fixation Volume Two. Well, I'm guessing it's Adam and Eve in some capacity. <laughs> you are right about that. It is it is indeed Adam and Eve in some capacity. I now I now put put it to you to tell me what capacity it is. It's not my Bible. <laughs> You're right. I'm it is not your Bible. That's like the message after dark. <laughs> If you'd like, I could read the description of maybe the most famous character from this work of fiction. Would you like, would you like to hear that? Yes, please. So this character description, it's not going to be immediately obvious who the character is, but I think it's a really great character description, so I'm going to read it and then tell you who the character is. Okay. <clears throat> I'll just read it, and then uh, I'll, I'll let you know if I need you to tell me. Okay, okay. With head uplift above the wave and eyes that sparkling blazed, his other parts besides, prone on the flood, extended long and large, lay floating many a rood, in bulk as huge as whom the fable's name of monstrous size, Titanian or earthborn that warred on Jove, Briarius or Typhon, whom the den by ancient Tarsus held, or that sea beast Leviathan, which God of all his works created hugest, that swim the ocean stream, him haply swum, slumbering on the Norway foam, the pilot of some small night-foundered skiff, deeming some island oft as seamen tell, with fixed anchor to his scaly rind, moors by his side under the lee, while night invests the sea and wished morn delays. Woo! Well, there's a lot of biblical stuff going on. A lot of biblical stuff. Um, now this character, his eyes blazed. He's compared to the, the sea beast Leviathan. Yes. Um, In his current state, is he, uh, is he frozen? He is not frozen, but he is, he is recently awoken and is crawling out of a, a, a lake of some kind. <laughs> oh, man. He crawled out of a burning lake of fire. <laughs> um, Paradise Lost. Yes, well done. So name the two characters whose descriptions I read. You read the description of Eve. Yes. And the description of our great lord... <laughs> Uh, Lucifer as well. Uh, Satan. John Milton's Paradise Lost characters. Even Satan. Mm. Our last category is going to be Colors of the Year. So there are there are a few different organizations that, that give that put out colors of the year. These include, but are not limited to Bear, the, the paint brand, and Pantone, the design company. So what I'm going to do is I am going to read, I've got a few different colors of the year here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the announcement. So the first one is the bear color of the year for 2019. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read their announcement and sort of their, their descriptions of the color. And I want you to guess for me, like what, what color this is. And uh, yeah, so let me, let me just, uh, let me just read it for you. All right. All right. The 2019 bear color of the year is blank. I'm not going to say the pair is, 
a color lush with positivity and strength. The primary reason people change the color in a room is to create a new mood or feeling for that space. This color lays the foundation for a new beginning, a reimagination of our lives, and a representation of what we stand for. Confidence, positivity, authenticity, it all springs forth from this color. Mm. Ooh. I want to say it's a shade of blue. Oh, good work, dude. All right. So you got it. You got a shade of blue. Let me send you, I'm going to send you a picture of, of the particular blue that it is. And I'm going to see if you can just come up with the name. Okay. All right. I send it in the G and it should work now. Ooh. All right. So Austin, tell us, tell, so I, this, the picture has worked. Tell us, tell us what we're looking at here. You know, this is a blue, it's sort of dusky. Okay, a um, dusky blue. I'm going to say um, it's sort of a... No, know, it's, they, Bear, Bear says that it exudes confidence, positivity, and authenticity. Which of those, which of those virtues do you think it exudes the most? Uh, positive, you said, okay, so authenticity, positivity, and... Confidence. Which of these do you think it exudes the most? I'm going to say authenticity. I would have said the exact same thing. I think it exudes true. authenticity. True blue? True blue is a great name for a color, but it's not true blue. Oh, man. All right. Hit me. The true name of the color is blueprint. Mm, blueprint. And that's, that's clever. That's cute. Now, you have sort of pulled out the rug from under me because the, the Pantone color of the year for 2020 was called classic blue which is so close to true blue that it's hardly even worth talking about. Classic blue, man. They're really running out of ideas. <laughs> well, Austin, it instills calm, confidence, and connection. This enduring blue hue highlights our desire for a dependable and stable foundation on which to build as we cross the threshold into a new era. Wow. So they're kind of, uh, they're kind of there with the authenticity as well, the confidence. True. Although I, th I think you will find that the art of these color descriptions is that it basically they talk about everything, right? Where it's right. it's it's a stable foundation, but also a threshold into a new era. Mm. Wow, a foundation and a threshold. Yeah. So the, the the bear color of the year for 2019 was was blueprint. I'm now going to read the description for the bear color for 2020. You, you ready? I'm ready. <clears throat> Bear is pleased to announce this color as the color of the year. It perfectly captures the essence of subtle and effortless, and I'm not going to tell you what color it is, subtle and effortless uh, that can be found in wilderness landscape or an indoor garden. It is a color that is all about awakenings and is especially appropriate for the start of a new decade. As a lifestyle trend, embracing the great outdoors is both a personal and collective activity that is very popular. Whether planning a trip to a vast national park or strolling through a city garden at the end of the block, visiting nature is a time-honored method to balance and rejuvenate the spirit. Bringing this outdoor color into your home is a soothing solve to the senses. Woo! Yeah. Soothing solve. Soothing solve. Well, I think it's a green. It's a green. You're darn right it is. Would you, would you like me to send you the, the picture? Yeah, send me the pic. All right, the picture has been sent. You've got a few to choose from here. Ooh, okay, okay, okay. Now you're looking at this color, Austin. What kind of feelings is it giving? How, first of all, how are your senses? Are they, uh, are, they, are, they, are they soothed? 
I'd say they're soothed. Yeah, they're okay. they're not stimulated. They're right. They're soothed. You know, it, this is more of a background color. It's more of a a palette upon which the rest of the room is painted. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's a good. That's a good. Subtle. Would you? It's, would you say? Would you? Would you agree with Bear's uh, opinion that it is subtle and effortless? Yeah, it's just subtle oh. and effortless. It kind of looks like. You know, have you ever had matcha ice cream? It, I have, and it is it is reminiscent of matcha. Right. It's yeah. It's not. It's a little muted for like matcha tea, but you, you put that stuff in some ice cream, and yeah. you know, it kind of has a. This house is sort of feels like maybe like a dragon, a dragon green kind of mm-hmm. natural green. I'm gonna call this cozy green. This one's called Back to Nature. Oh. Okay. That's, that's uh, the name of this color. It's you, yeah. you might you might know it by you might know it better by its name S three forty dash four. Maybe that's what you were thinking of. Yes. But this one's called Back to Nature. Back to Nature. I don't know if I would have picked up on all the subtleties of this green if I had only heard the words Back to Nature. So, listeners, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, that's just that's sort of the uh, that's the conceit of this episode. Is that it, it is. We are at conflict between the senses. So if people want to Google back to nature, they can Google back to nature. Back to nature. Um, it's a decent color. I would not have chosen it for my color of the year for 2020. Yeah. Um, it's a little, um, this, is a, this is a runner-up. This is a bridesmaid. Yeah, and you were absolutely right when you said this is sort of a background color. And I think this would have been a great color three or four years ago. Mm. But I think the color of the year 2020 is like Billie Eilish's hair green, not back to nature green. Something a little more striking. Yeah. Like we're, we're, you know. Yeah, a sharper, a more eye-catching color. That's what I would have chosen for 2020. But I'm not employed at Bear. I don't, I don't make paint. What do I know? You know, the, the more I look at it, though. Oh, you're falling in love. I'm falling in love. I love about, both, uh, both of these muted. I like, I like the blue, too. Yeah. The Pantone color of the year for 2019. This is an animating, life-affirming hue that energizes and enlivens with a softer edge. Pantone, it says it's, it's vibrant yet mellow. So again, uh, it embraces strong. us with, with warm, so strong but weak, uh, with warmth and nourishment to provide comfort and buoyancy in our continually shifting environment. In reaction to the onslaught of digital technology and social media increasingly embedding into daily life, we are seeking authentic and immersive experiences that enable connection and intimacy. Did you think you could get that all from a color, Austin? I didn't, but I'm starting to think that I might need to make some changes. <laughs> yeah, well, let me, let me continue. Sociable and spirited, the engaging nature of this color welcomes and encourages lighthearted activity. Symbolizing our innate need for optimism and joyful pursuits, this color embodies our desire for playful expression. And you know, uh, my my heart is, is telling me this is an orange. Ooh. Okay, you're not you're not at all far off. Now it's not the 2012 Pantone color of the year, Tangerine Tango. <laughs> uh, tangerine Tango was def was a solidly orange one. But you're not far off by saying that this is uh, this is an orange. Uh, there's your image. Now, like I said, it's not it's not orange, but you're not you're not completely in the wrong ballpark. Uh, describe describe for our listeners this color. 
I think that was pretty close. I mean, this is uh, this is sort of a salmon, I'd say. Mm. Um, I call this a salmon, but I would definitely say it's got some orange undertones. Yeah. Sort of a pink, sort of a pale pink. You know, uh, I'm seeing the color of a of a sunset. Okay. Uh, in there, I'm seeing um, like a pair of Patagonia shorts. Okay. Uh, uh, now the 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 Pantone classification of this color is sixteen dash one five four six. I don't know if that narrows it down I for you. Definitely, you took the words out of my mouth. I would definitely. <laughs> uh, it's definitely in the sixteens. Yes. I would have gotten absolutely. you. To, I would have gotten you to sixteen dash one five. I I don't know if I could have gotten four six. Good you, color. Do you feel Austin that you are nurtured by this color? It is. Pantone says that it is a nurturing color. Yeah, I would say I'm nurtured. I, I would say if I had a automatic nanny robot who was who was colored in this color, I would feel I would feel nurtured. Other, uh, where uh, Pantone says it is glorious yet more elusive. Where on the glorious to elusive spectrum would you put this color? You know, it's interesting. I I always think about this. I'm looking at a color on a screen, right? Mm. Um, because it looks like underneath sort of the dull salmon, there's like a light. There's a light underneath it. Interesting. But I don't know if that is the screen. I, I think I think that's your screen because it's all one solid color. No, it's it's solid. I, I'm saying it. Uh, it's it's deceptively bright. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have any guesses as as to what Pantone dubbed this color? I'm gonna say. So far, we've had we've had back to nature. We've had blueprint. What do you think this I'm one? I'm going to say that this one is Stefani Cool. <laughs> this one is called Living Coral. Okay. You, do you see yeah, it now? I do see it. I'm seeing the coral and uh, that light that I was talking about. That's the living. Um, right. Exactly. Yeah. The living. The living aspect of living coral. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. Would you say now among the many things that were evoked in your mind when you saw this when you saw this color? Would you say that it evoked how coral reefs provide shelter to a diverse kaleidoscope of color? Mm, yes. Okay. I would. Okay. I would say that. That's that is that it was it was also evocative of that for me. Pantone Pantone was right on the right on the money with that one. So that's all the colors I wanted to talk about. Yeah, those are some beautiful colors, and I hope yeah. that you all look these up later. <laughs> uh, yeah, just take a look. And that's our very visual episode. And and a beautiful, and it was just a very beautiful episode. One of the most beautiful episodes we've done. Um, just a gorgeous. Since our since our episode on beauty, we did an episode yeah. on beauty. Yeah. Living coral. Yeah. We have a sort of in in the the logo that Anna created for us. We have sort of I don't know. It's it's not necessarily it's not necessarily a living coral, but there is a there is a pinkish. I guess it's a little. It's more darker and pinker 
that comes out of our that comes out of this this cell phone antenna there. So I guess maybe we don't we don't have Pantone's color of the year, 2019 on our our logo, but someday, someday we will. Some <laughs> someday when we when we make it big. Uh, cool. Logo, Greg, if you're listening, you I found my pins in a box in my garage. They're on. Hell yeah, way. hell yeah. But don't worry, they're coming. Cool. Well, that's that was our very visual episode. I hope it stimulated. I hope it stimulated your senses. Stimulated a lot. There, there's a lot going on right now. Yeah. Um, beautiful, beautiful yeah. stuff, Tony. Um, so just a smorgasbord of of visual delights. That you can <laughs> always. Yeah. Cool. Well, Austin, I, I hope that all of your your food prep issues get taken care of. Thank you to our. Did we thank Jude? We haven't thanked. We haven't. Th- we haven't. We haven't even technically thanked Anna, uh, who who chose on the topic of beautiful colors. Anna chose some beautiful colors for our logo. We we got to thank Jude for he doesn't contribute anything visual to the podcast, but he does he does contribute the, the music. Jude Schuma. Unless you have synesthesia. Unless you have synesthesia, true. So the, every every one of our episodes so far has been a very visual episode. If you have synesthesia. In which case, people are, the people with synesthesia are going to be very confused by the by, by the, the theme of this on? episode. Yeah. What is going on here? Yeah, what's what's happening? They they're gonna they're gonna quickly put down their podcast listening device and call their friends and say, "Excuse me, this this the theme of this podcast makes no sense to me." Listeners with synesthesia, send us a picture of what. <laughs> send us a picture of what our voices sound like. <laughs> That'd be sweet. Can you imagine a shirt? That was just a painting by a listener with synesthesia. Oof. Just, just describing our podcast. Oh, that'd be I would like that. I would like that a great deal. One day. One day. Cool. Well, thank you, Austin. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. I am-